Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Have to confess, we are not in great moods today. A little less sleep than normal, and not for a great reason. We saw the Braves summarily dismissed from the playoffs uh, last night by the hated Philadelphia Phillies. Just a totally listless, lifeless performance from a team that we've expected to bring nothing but energy because it has all season long so we're gonna try to shift gears away from that and turn the page away from that obviously there'll be plenty of time for uh, anybody who wants to to kind of you know figure out what went wrong there but we're gonna try to distract you from that if you are a Braves fan by talking about what's right with the Georgia Bulldogs now a lot of that's gonna be related to Georgia on the field against Vanderbilt on Saturday we'll get to that here coming up in a moment including what I think is the one big unanswered question for Georgia against Vanderbilt, and I'll kind of lay out some of this here coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, can we sort of do something just for fun because we sort of need some fun on a day like this? Many of you know that each uh, week now, Nick Saban, and what I believe is sort of a precursor to retirement, uh, makes an appearance on the Pat McAfee show. Saban's become very media friendly here in kind of the winter of his career, you know, seemingly on ESPN all the time. We used to jokingly call him Stephen A. Saban because it seems like he was just on ESPN every time you turned around. And now he literally is on each and every week with Pat McAfee. Uh, this is, you know, Saban's attempt to be sort of hip and relevant and, you know, kind of, you know, uh, I guess in the cultural zeitgeist, I guess, if you want to say it that way. At least that's what I sort of, sort of a, seem, makes it seem like it um, looks like. And Saban also has a way, uh, seemingly, of trying to insert himself into every college football story. You know, uh, Deion Sanders is a big deal. Well, here's Nick Saban doing a TV commercial with Deion Sanders. Like, whatever seems to be going on in college football, Saban somehow finds a way to kind of insert himself into that story. And obviously, biggest game of the weekend is out in the Pacific Northwest where Oregon uh, gets ready to take on Washington. And the winner of this game, we would say, emerges as a true, legitimate playoff contender in what is a very fun final year for the Pac-12. So with that in mind, you know, the Oregon-Washington game, I guess, came up when Nick Saban was making his weekly appearance with Pat McAfee. And, uh, you know, Nick Saban wanted to let it be known that, hey, I knew about Dan Lanning, the Oregon coach, before it was cool to know about Dan Lanning. Let me show you this on the screen. I don't have the audio. I'm just going to read the quote, but then we're going to talk about it. So a guy named Chris Vanini writes that Nick Saban was on the Pat McAfee show and asked about replacing so many assistants so often. And he says it's harder when you have so many former assistants out there. He says Dan Lanning was here as a graduate assistant. He went to Memphis. I was ready to hire him. And two days before I did, Kirby Smart hired him. Now, I think that's, once again, Chris Vanini on, uh, I guess you call it X now. We still pretty much call it Twitter. Uh, but that's Vanini relaying what Nick Saban said on the Pat McAfee show. Now, I think Saban is trying to say there, hey, I had the idea to go out and hire Dan Lanning, but Kirby Smart copied out my paper. He went out and hired him first. This is Nick Saban's way of saying, y'all know who Dan Lanning is now, but I've known about him for a long time because he was a graduate assistant in our program far before he's anybody anywhere else. I think that's what Saban wants to say there. I think that's what he's trying to say there. But the truth is, what he's admitting to was being outmaneuvered. That sometimes in life, when you snooze, you lose. And Saban moving a little slowly, moving a little deliberately. Kirby Smart strikes fast, gets the guy that he wants, and the rest is history. And I'll always say that when you look at the first national championship that Georgia won under Kirby Smart in 2021, one of the most underrated aspects of that build-up to that season was when Dan Lanning had a chance to leave, go take big bucks to be Steve Sarkeesian's first defensive coordinator at Texas, big dollars potentially coming his way, chose not to do that. The Lanning, I believe, was a very instrumental figure in the first national championship that Georgia won So under Kirby Smart. So clearly having Lanning here at Georgia was incredibly, incredibly valuable. And, and Kirby Smart's ability to outmaneuver Saban because in the race for talent, great coaching talent is just as scarce as great uh, player talent is there'll never be enough great players to go around too many programs fighting for too few players that's the nature of the beast in college football it's a race against the obvious scarcity that exists coaching talent's the same way the kind of guys who are willing to let the candle be burned at both ends the kind of guys who have the indefatigable energy that uh, Georgia assistants are asked to have and Alabama assistants are too for that matter there'll never be enough of them so programs are fighting for those good coaches the same way they're fighting uh, over good players and in this particular case Georgia won that fight. Kirby Smart outmaneuvered Nick Saban to get Dan Lanning, and it's a weird admission from Nick Saban. I don't believe he sees it that way, but that's definitely what it is. But in addition to that, it's also this, and this is where you kind of get to Georgia here in the present day there as well. 
the truth is even though Kirby Smart allegedly according to Nick Saban stepped up and hired him two days before Nick Saban was planning to the truth is Dan Lanning in those in that moment whether it had been prior to the 2019 season is that right would have been you know prior yeah prior to 2019 season Dan Lanning obviously probably assumed that there could be an opportunity available for him in Alabama there as well so this is not just as Saban says Kirby Smart getting there first getting there quicker and basically jumping ahead to do the thing that Nick Saban planned on doing this is also Dan Lanning saying hey I'm a young coach up and coming here where do I want to go work do I want to work for Nick Saban or do I want to work for Kirby Smart? And this is where I think you have to give Kirby Smart credit for, even though he's as competitive as anybody, as competitive as Nick Saban is, he's building a young coaching grid that has him succeeding faster than Nick Saban succeeded when he first started coaching. Uh, even though Kirby's just as ambitious, just as driven, just as uh, you know, insatiable when he, with his appetite for success, Kirby Smart also by appearances seems to be a little bit easier to get along with here too because while Nick Saban has certainly had to replace assistants year after year after year and some of that's just a byproduct that the success of the Alabama program has had there are also a lot of other guys who seem to leave because perhaps Nick Saban is not always the greatest guy to work for and we have some examples of that where hey sometimes it's guys leaving for a bigger job in other cases sometimes it's just guys leaving for a different job because Nick Saban is one of those guys that people and the track record is out there you can look at this for yourself Kirby Smart is really the only guy that sort of stuck around stuck around for a long period of time when it comes to Alabama a lot of other guys when they had a chance to go somewhere else they kind of did because you know not necessarily always the greatest guy to work for you might assume that Nick Saban would be but here at Georgia by comparison there's been plenty of turnover there as well but you've also got long range assistance here Del McGee's been here for a very long time I think about Glenn Schumann you know this past offseason there were all kinds of rumors if Schumann could take this job Schumann could take that job the one thing we do know is Schumann's an Alabama grad Alabama had an open spot for its defensive coordinator this year they were desperate for a defensive coordinator and yet we never really heard about Glenn Schumann Alabama at all why was that we don't necessarily know necessarily but there was certainly not some in, in you know uh huge desire to go back and work for Saban because sometimes it seems like you know people when they have a choice choose to work somewhere different than with Alabama and it's not just because of how hard driving Saban is the success that Georgia's having right now speaks for itself and no one is more driven than the coaches currently on this Georgia staff so in addition to Kirby outmaneuvering Saban when he really needed to to hire Lanning as Saban admits there's also the sense in which Kirby kind of understands what it takes to retain coaches what it takes to retain players and this matters you know we joked about this this week so Kirby talked about the idea of kind of positive reinforcement after the Auburn game where you know Georgia had given up like 200 yards rushing and it was a pretty bad game by Georgia standards defensively and a lot of us have kind of come to expect in that moment Kirby's just going to be peeling the paint off the wall and Kirby's going to be out there just really in guys face mask and just coaching uh, as hard as ever but Smart told us himself that actually what he did was take about 10 clips of film stitch them together of good moments that happen and said hey this is actually what you did in the Auburn game that was good and if you do more of that against Kentucky you're going to be more successful and the results were exactly that 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 Georgia did have a much better defensive performance against Kentucky and perhaps based on the line of thought that Smart has shared over the course of the last seven days would seem to suggest that Smart was right there was more good than we realized in that Auburn game and replicating that good in the Kentucky game created the uh, opportunity for success there it was a little bit more of a positive version of uh, Kirby Smart now when Jake Fromm the former Georgia quarterback was on our show this week I asked him hey Jake when does Kirby decide when he's going to give you the positive stuff and when he's going to give you the more hard intense coaching when do you de- when, when does he decide to do that and Jake gave a very funny answer about the so-called like positive you know positive affirmation side of uh, Kirby Smart Jake's answer on that was very funny and it's also important a lot of the conversation we're having right now this is Jake on the subject of the more positive version of uh, Kirby here's Jake I tell you I don't think I ever got that version of uh, (laughs) Coach Smart when I was there so it's uh it's been very interesting to see uh kind of from the couch you know to say that the the personality, the coaching personality of Coach Smart, kind of, kind of slowly, kind of change and creep to maybe a more positive and optimistic side, which is, uh, which is neat to see, you know. Um, but no, I, I don't feel like I had that <laughs> when I was playing. Um, but I, I think what you you still see on Saturday, you can't you can't take it out of him on on game day, you know. Like that's that's just that's just 
him. That's yeah. just what makes him uh, the intensity there on game day. But but through the week, you know, when he's able to, to collect some thoughts and, and assess the situation, I think um, what what you're seeing is maybe a, a slightly more more wise and experienced coach uh, be able to attack certain things in different ways. Now, part of that I just think is kind of funny, Jake. For I'm saying, listen, the positive side of Kirby Smart, where he's there to patch in the back. I never saw that too much. I mostly just think that's funny. But there's also kind of a serious point there at the end about uh, Jake saying, well, any coach that's been as successful as Kirby's been, now all of a sudden getting some seasoning on him as a coach, there is a little bit of growth in the direction of wisdom and maturity. And I do believe that Smart is growing to understand the value of retention, not to say that he never did value that. I think Smart seems to be, for a lot of his coaches, a fairly easy guy to get along with. Not everybody has thrived here, but most seem to enjoy their time the best that we can possibly tell. But perhaps that's even more important to Smart now than it has been in the past. Think about the age that we're in when it comes to like transfer portal and things like that. One of the things we've heard you know, Kirby Smart say is, hey, they have a stated goal of they want to keep 70% of the players that sign here throughout their career here uh, when it comes to uh, high school recruits coming into Georgia. They want to keep 70% of those over the course of the long haul here in Georgia. That's the acknowledgement of, hey, we're going to be doing well to to not lose more than a third of these guys, but we want to at least keep two-thirds, upwards of 70%. That's smart saying in today's day and age, in, in today's day and age, there's an opportunity for guys to move around, but we want to try to hold on to as many as we can. And I think the same idea kind of exists when it comes to coaching staff there as well. Can we create the kind of environment where guys feel like they can grow professionally, they can move on to better jobs, but while they're working in this role and their current job, they can be happy and enjoy themselves. It seems like smart sort of gets that. And any leader of any organization understands that that if you can keep successful people from wanting to leave your entire organization has a chance to be more successful so when nick saban says oh yeah i knew who dan lanning was kirby smart just hired him quicker than i could that's partially true i guess smart does have a tendency to move fast when he knows what he wants but this is also about who do you want to work for and dan lanning as an up-and-coming coach said I want to work for Kirby Smart. I think I'd rather do that as opposed to work for Nick Saban, at least by appearances. That's what seemed like happened. A lot of other coaches seem to be saying the same kind of thing right now. A lot of other players do too. So when you look at the overall success that Georgia is enjoying, the more mature, wiser version of Kirby Smart, understanding the value of retention over the course of these last few years that Jake Fromm kind of joked about on our show this week, I would take that pretty seriously. Now, let me shift gears something else here just for a moment. Obviously, Georgia got a game on Saturday against Vanderbilt. And I think there is like sort of one big question that kind of remains unanswered for this. I think we need to take this pretty seriously. I've done the uh, research on this a little bit, and I think I've got my numbers on this right. Some of this stuff is sometimes a little bit hard to verify, but I believe I'm right about this so in nine previous games for georgia under kirby smart going into an off week and the 2019 season there were two off weeks so that kind of is is why you have a, a total of nine already but um in the nine previous games for georgia going into an off week georgia is just one and eight against the spread the best that i can tell here just one and eight against the spread in those previous nine games under kirby smart and two of those games were outright losses a long time ago lost to vanderbilt outright in 2016 which just seems like an entirely different program and an entirely different era but it did happen and in 2018 before the off week the week before that uh georgia lost badly to lsu other than that you've got some lackluster performances against kentucky a lot of those it seems like but one way or another you've just sort of had some kind of slower middling games georgia mostly wins with the exception of a couple of times but oftentimes less impressive than the experts think now last year before the off week georgia played the same team that it's playing here on saturday vanderbilt and they beat them 55 nothing covering the spread easily now many of you don't care about the gambling angle on this and i totally respect that my reason for bringing this up is not so you can bet it or not bet it i've said before that if you do enjoy betting i believe there are better games to bet this weekend than georgia you know minus 31 on the road because of the sort of wild variance a game like this can have if you really want to bet on a game on saturday and if you're in tennessee by the way uh, sports wagering is legal but um if you uh if you really want to bet on a game there's probably a better game to bet than georgia vanderbilt my reason for bringing this up is not for a gambling edge on the game it's because the natural curiosity that exists from georgia fans of okay well which version of georgia do we get to see on saturday is it the sort of the the more lifeless version of georgia that kind of reminds us of the way the braves played against the phillies in the playoffs or is it the fire breathing dragon that absolutely dominated kentucky last week well 
This is where history suggests, you know, maybe not such great stuff. As I said before, one in eight against the spread in previous nine games prior to an off week under Kirby Smart. But last year against the team they're playing on on Saturday, Georgia totally annihilates and throttles Vanderbilt. Perhaps that's because of the extra motivation that Georgia perhaps still feels based on the way in which Vanderbilt canceled the game in 2020. Maybe that gives Georgia the the, the desire to come out and just absolutely kill <laughs> the Commodores they've clearly done that in the uh, last two games 2022 and uh, 2021 ever since that 2020 cancellation so perhaps that's the case but this has also been a Georgia team that's pretty banged up and it may not be the worst football decision to say hey what we really want to do is get to the off week if we can what we really want to do is not get anybody who's you know kind of convalescing and trying to get back to a full health we don't want any setbacks for those guys we want to be as healthy as we can be for the stretch that's coming up after this because that's the Floridas, that's the Missouris, that's the ranked Tennessee, the ranked Ole Miss. Perhaps being ready for that, maybe it does make more sense. So for me, the biggest unanswered question is, how badly does Georgia want to play for a full 60 minutes on Saturday? And do perhaps they see the value in coasting a little bit if it gets them healthier going into an off week with Florida looming after that? In the past, it seems like Georgia has had not quite its foot on the full gas going into an off week. Is this another one of those games, or is this a replica of what we've seen against Vanderbilt in each of the last two years? The one thing that Georgia fans kind of know is that if you do get up big enough, and if you are blowing them out bad enough, that's an opportunity to see other players, younger players, in the uh in, in the game that you perhaps otherwise might not get to see connor riley wrote about that at uh, dognation.com this week specifically for brock vandegrift now i'll tell you i have really liked what i saw have seen from vandegrift thus far this year he looks like a very capable quarterback and after the game on saturday in which he once again came in and played really well uh, kirby smart was asked about vandegrift and a couple of other young players who got involved in saturday's game against the wildcats and that's perhaps a precursor for what could also happen this Saturday there as well. This is Kirby on the subject of Vandegrift, also Pierce Sperlin, and a Lawson Lucky back from injury. Young players getting a chance to play. Last Saturday against Kentucky, they did. And this is what Smart said about his philosophy on that. How valuable in the long run was getting guys like Brock Vandegrift on the field, getting them in situations like this and letting them Play, that's great. Well, it's great. I mean, if he has to go in and play, he's going to be more and more ready. He gains confidence each time he goes out there. And speaking of establishing depth, how important was it for Pierce Berlin and Lawson Lucky to really be healthy and get game time reps also? It's awesome. They got to get better, though. They, they go out there and play against the same guys the other guys do. And they got to be able to block people and play physical. And that's something that they, 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 they got a lot better last week in practice because we made them um, go block and go be physical. And they got to continue to do that if they're going to play. So Kirby talking about, you know, embracing the physicality of the SEC and clearly you can get better at practice, you know, doing that. But there's also an aspect of that that you need game reps in the SEC, even if it's sort of a, you know, air quotes here around SEC opponent with Vanderbilt. You need those game reps in order to really take that next step. At least we would believe those game reps are invaluable. So getting some of those for young players, you hope that's the case. And for Brock Vandergraaf, a chance to see more of him. I think a lot of Georgia fans hope that's the case as well. We're kind of in an interesting period with the Georgia quarterback situation where I think that Georgia fans are really rightly so falling in love with Carson Beck. I think they should based on the way that Beck is playing. But Beck's performance as the starter, I don't think should obscure the fact that if Georgia needed Brock Vandegrift for any reason, to me right now, he looks like a guy who'd be capable of stepping in and playing. And sometimes in the SEC, that's the case. Now, uh, our producer, Michael Carvel, was talking to me before the show started about just how little overall pressure and that uh that that Beck has seen this year perhaps that speaks to the job and pass protection the Georgia offense offensive line is doing and so perhaps that it kind of gr- more greatly ensures the the health of Beck throughout the rest of the season certainly we hope he remains healthy here for UGA but in the SEC we've seen now year after year after year backup quarterbacks matter having a guy that can step in and play if your starter goes down that's just the thing you sort of need in this league and Georgia right now seems to have not just a very good starting quarterback among the nation's best but also an incredible level of quarterback depth, too, because right now the number two guy is Brock Vandegrift. When we have seen him this year, I believe he's looked pretty good. And hopefully Georgia fans will get a chance to see him again because of a big lead on Saturday. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Kroger. We are happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live 
on video. We start 945, first and 15, dognation.com, dognation app. A little bit of Braves talk there this morning. Some of the Georgia football fans are like, I'm glad the Braves are over so we can get back to fully talking about football. But uh, we've had some energy around that. Many of you feel the same way. We're all licking our wounds here a little bit. Uh, but now we're talking about Georgia football here on the show. Obviously, across 10 a.m., all other platforms on video, radio, Athens Sports Radio, 960 The Ref, podcast, all the podcast platforms there as well. We're just happy that you're a part of our program today. And a big thanks to our friends at Kroger who make it all possible. You know, you look around our house, the signs of Halloween are everywhere. My kids love Halloween. By the way, today is Friday, October uh, uh, 13th. So you got a Friday the 13th in October. That's extra spooky, which makes you extra excited, perhaps, by the Halloween season that's coming up and on its way. So everything you need for your Halloween needs right there with our friends at Kroger, including saving 30% on tag-reflected merchandise from decor, tree carriers, pumpkin carving kits, toys, and more. You love Halloween. Kroger loves it, too. They're going to help you get ready for it. So go to Kroger.com slash Halloween for more on that. That's Kroger.com slash Halloween. All right, we have gone incredibly long off the top of the program for reasons that we didn't necessarily anticipate. Uh, just a fun conversation, hopefully. So we're going to kind of do a little bit of a quicker version of Around the Doghouse. Poured today by our friends at the Finnish Long Drink with the thought of getting with Jeff Sintel after that on all the latest with UGA recruiting. So we'll do that with Jeff here coming up. But prior to that, let's go Around the Doghouse today, as I said before. Poured by our friends at the Finnish Long Drink. And yesterday, Georgia got some really good news for its 2025 recruiting class when running back Bo Walker out of Cedar Grove announced his commitment to UGA. I'll show you a nice photo that uh, Jeff Sintel shared of uh, Walker with the news uh, that Cedar Grove uh, running back Bo Walker makes his college decision running with the dogs in Athens Jeff says when a talented three-sport athlete has a name like that he's going to be the one to watch and it is kind of funny I see a lot of the uh, replies to Jeff's you know message there on that and of course Georgia fans like the idea of a running back with the last name Walker he's no relation to Herschel Walker just has, happens to have the same last name but uh Georgia fans love the idea of the last name Walker uh, as a running back because obviously the great heritage in the history of Herschel Walker George's also had some other good walkers throughout the year uh, years there I guess as well uh, but Bo Walker would be the latest in that so yeah first of all just in addition to the connection that Georgia has to the Walker name Bo Walker just sounds like a great running back name doesn't it, it just sounds like a terrific terrific name for a running back I, I think it does anyway uh, fantastic I also like the fact that he comes out of Cedar Grove you know I love Georgia you know this is a state that for a long time now Georgia is kind of famous now for almost every position but for a long time it's kind of been famous for that kind of bell cow running back this is a state that's just had such a great history with that so I love the idea of Georgia with I'm talking about the University of Georgia with the state of Georgia running backs. I think that Dejon Edwards is performing very well for Georgia here right now. I like the idea of the running back from Georgia. That's what Walker is. I, in particular, like the idea of a guy like that coming from Cedar Grove. You know, Cedar Grove, one of the best teams in Georgia in 3A, but it's like they don't ever play. A, if you really follow high school football and you look at the Cedar Grove schedule, it's actually pretty fascinating. They don't play almost any 3A teams until they begin region play. They play like three home games the entire year. They travel nationally. They'll play, you know, out of state. They'll 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 do whatever else. They just don't. They want to play the toughest schedule possible. They'll go on the road. Uh, clearly, Georgia's had some great success in the past with the guys that have come to this program from uh, Cedar Grove. We obviously understand that. It is a very very talent rich program, and it's very good to get a guy like Walker from that program there as well. I just think that when you get a chance to go out and bring in a running back like this who has been battle-tested for a very tough-minded program in-state, of course you want to do that. I, I think there's a lot to like in, in relationship to that. Plus, here's the other thing. Kind of working ahead and securing some running backs for the class of 2025, I think is pretty valuable right now because Georgia signed three really – or has commitments and is set to sign three really good running backs from the class of 2024 – and obviously, when you bring in that kind of depth with one class, it makes the pull a little tougher in the following class. So the fact that Georgia has what, a couple of running back commits now for the class of 2025 on the heels of getting three really strong commitments for the class of 2024. I think you see a really exciting time here for the Georgia running back room. I think that Del McGee is doing a good job putting this group together. Really, really big energy from incoming running backs as now a part of the next two signing classes. So that's good news. We'll talk more with Jeff Sintel about that in a moment. But before that, though, let me remind you that this has been 
around the doghouse poured by the finish long drink and boy you're getting ready for a fun weekend a little less fun than we hope because there's no game five uh coming up on saturday night for the uh, braves and the phillies but you can still have a great time as you're enjoying some football this weekend how about the peach flavored version of the finish long drink limited time here in the peach state now i've heard from some of you that it's not the easiest thing to find right now because it's flying off the shelf so keep going to the longdrink.com keep putting your zip code keep trying to figure out where the finished long drink peach flavored version is our buddy jeff centel uh has sought it out and he's found it and people love it so i, I know you're out there looking for it so keep doing that and uh you'll if you when you do find it you're going to enjoy it because i know it's a hot commodity here right now people are having a great great time with the finished long drink right now so you're getting stocked up for your tailgate there in nashville on saturday or wherever you're watching the game with a family and friends here this weekend you can enjoy the peach flavor version the traditional grapefruit flavor the gin kick long drink strong eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero no carbs no sugar the cranberry flavor you can try that there as well it's all great for a great football weekend how about the finished long drink online at thelongdrink.com. Okay, so on Fridays, one of the things we enjoy doing around our program is taking time to share thoughts on all the other big games of the weekend. And we're going to give you a handful of those here coming up in just a little bit. That's going to be a really fun way to kind of close it out here. I, I think Washington Oregon's a big game. I think that USC uh, bringing the Heisman Trophy winner into South Bend, I think that's a fun game. There's an incredibly deep slate of SEC games, which we want to try to cover there as well. We're going to do all of that here over the course of the uh, conclusion of our show today. But for now, on everything as it relates to Georgia recruiting, let's get ready to bring on Jeff Sintel here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Let's say hello to Jeff Sintel, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Jeff had a great story last night about some good news for Georgia's 2025 running back Bo Walker now in the fold for the next recruiting cycle. Georgia working a little bit ahead after three strong commitments to that running back position here for the class of 2024. So Jeff, I kind of shared some of my thoughts on this a moment ago. I know Walker's a guy that you've covered. Give us your thumbnail here on what Georgia is getting one class ahead now. And a coach Del McGee who's been pretty hot when it comes to running backs for staying hot. Uh, I like the in-state name. So uh, give us more on Bo Walker here. Yeah, uh, morning, everybody. Hope everybody's having a good Friday. I think the main thing, there was some curiosities about Bo because I think too often the recruiting industry paints a picture like, hey, this guy doesn't have stars. What does this mean? I think you got to look at Bo Walker and look at a guy that's been a contributor for a program that's, I think, won four out of the last seven state titles in their classification. I saw him make plays as a freshman, um, three-sport athlete, and I mean – a lot of people are going to gloss over, oh, he's not unranked. Well, I think, Brent, I think Brandon, I think Georgia kind of had to do this in the 2025 class because considering how they loaded up with three megawatt stars in 2024, it's going to be very hard for Georgia to get that five-star running back or that high four-star running back because they see how the room's getting reloaded in 2024. And frankly, Brandon, the, the five-star running backs these days are – pretty heavily involved with NIL as it is. I mean, Bo Walker is a productive player. I think he had offers from Ole Miss, his old high school coach at Arkansas, Jimmy Smith, Louisville. Um, you know, he had a smattering, probably 10 or 12 offers, and he was unranked. But I think the big thing is it's just a great fit for Georgia because he does have that three-down ability. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He lines up as an X. He lines up as a slot. Heck, Cedar Grove even rushes him as a passer. John Adams, the coach at Cedar Grove, told me that, heck, if we wanted to make him a middle linebacker, he'd probably be one of the best middle linebackers in the state. And the thing you really love about a player that comes out of Cedar Grove, besides guys like we know Jaden Hazelwood, we know Christian Miller, we know C.J. Madden, lots of players come out of Cedar Grove, but they're so battle-tested that this is the high school that's happy to be 0-4 or 1-3 heading into their region schedule because they have to schedule 7A Colin Till or you know, the really big powers in the state of Georgia, they play Colquitt County every year. Um, and that gets them ready for their playoff road because that'll look a lot less treacherous than facing a top 10, 7, 8 team. I think there's a lot of reasons why Bo Walker fits here good with Georgia. Del McGee made him a priority. He's kind of been leaning that way for a long time. And I know since we can't jazz up a headline with like, hey, he has so many stars or, hey, he's rated this or that. Um, I think that's one of the things I got to do 
my job a little bit better, a little bit harder to know that, hey, look where he comes from, look at the program, look what he puts out on film, look how productive he's been, and look at this special situation with how Georgia has to approach the running back position in 2025. And I think that goes a way where we can show what type of player this is besides the probably one of the best running back names anybody could ever have. I can imagine everybody when they played NCAA football 15 years ago that when they were doing creative player for a running back, I'm sure somebody came up with the name Bo Walker for their running back. So ignore the stars, ignore the lack of the high ranking. Georgia got a really good one, but also a really good fit for what their running back room has to look like in the 2025 class. So let's talk about this for a moment. You said something that I think a lot of Georgia fans have kind of come to also think and believe, which is, well, if you're going after the five-star running back right now, you better bring your NIL lunch pail because of how much you know money is allegedly being thrown around to players like that. And so a lot of Georgia fans have kind of come to believe that, hey, Georgia's just not going to play that game. You know, uh, you know, there are a lot of other programs going to lead with their NIL dollars. And they're going to buy players, but Georgia's not going to play that game. And yet this week you've got Mark Stoop saying, well, Georgia bought some really good players, and if you want to be competitive, we got to buy the same kind of players that Georgia's buying, which is kind of flying against what sometimes Georgia fans' own perception of their program is. It seems to me that, Jeff, the thing that's always being sold, whether you're a Georgia fan or a Kentucky fan or any other fan is – is that, well, so-and-so is trying to buy all the players and we're trying to keep up with them. And people say that about Georgia. Georgia say that, says that about other people. Like, you know, like what is reality when it comes to this, both with what Stoop said about Georgia, what, you know, sometimes Georgia recruiting observers would say about their recruiting competition. You know, you know where does Georgia fit into the current NIL pecking order? I think it's changing, Brandon. I think it's changing really rapidly. I think you can see what's happening now with Aiden Breeland on Saturday. I think it's changing with where, like we saw Georgia lose a couple of high-profile recruitments over the last couple of years, the last two years that were NIL-based. Based williams Winery's one at K.J. Bolden is one. I mean, there's NIL at the forefront of these decisions now. I don't know about you, Brandon, but I think it kind of makes it a little bit more above board and out in the open where, you know, there's no more, you know, collection plate offerings. There's no more, hopefully, no more McDonald's bags full of cash anymore that you can literally find the way in the open market if you're NIL. And really what I think Bob Stoops was really doing there is just basically turning his uh, weekly coaches show, which is the bane of every football coach's existence, into a telethon for the NIL. I thought it was highly dubious. I guess the word dubious works here that um, Kentucky is making these comments, and this is the year, the cycle, where they NIL'd their quarterback, Devin Leary, away from NC State. So, like, they know what they're doing. They know how how things are happening in Kentucky uh, to, to become a real player. And I think you're going to find teams, Brandon, uh, lots of teams in the SEC, and I think eventually you're going to see teams like Georgia and Alabama maybe change their stance a little bit for certain positions that they absolutely need to like build the defense around or build an offense around where I don't think they're ever going to be the high bidder for NIL, but I think NIL is just going to be a part of the thing now where if you want to get a great player and you think that player is all that and what you really need, then maybe the coffers open up a little bit more than you usually would to secure one of those players at Athens. So let me see if I can frame the question this way. If I only give you two choices, do you believe that Georgia's access to NIL makes them a greater threat to the rest of college football, or do you think other programs' access to NIL makes them a greater threat to Georgia? Here's the way I, here's the way I look at that. I think um, Georgia's access to NIL is a little different, Brandon, because I think most of Georgia's NIL money now happens for player retention, not player acquisition. Do you understand what I'm saying there? They get the guys on the campus, they, they see them play, they see them perform, they see them earn their spot, and then they take care of those guys with NIL rather than unproven high school kids, even if they're the five-star variety. I just think Georgia's way of looking at it where you upset the locker room by bringing in high-priced talent that hasn't done anything and they're making as much or more than proven starters, I don't think that's long-term success for chemistry, especially the great chemistry Georgia has. I think there. I think it's kind of out there that everybody knows if Georgia perhaps wanted to be the high bidder for high school players, and they probably could for four or five or six, because obviously they have a strong collective fundraising arm that's only going to get better. I think the way Georgia is doing it makes more sense, especially 
When I look around Major League Baseball and I see payrolls and I see skyrocketing payrolls that aren't really working really well, and that's even among professionals. Um, so the way Georgia does it, NIL player retention, you know, holding on to it, like, let's, let's face it, somebody can come to Malachi Starks next year with $3 million. Heck, there's a school in the ACC that's offered $3 million for a current Georgia command and previous Georgia commands, like millions of dollars. And I think the way Georgia has done it, the way they've built their team, because they can, because they've got the ultimate stage. They are the biggest show right now in college football, NFL development, back-to-back championships, number one ranking, steaming through the season right now. I think that's how Georgia uh, and the NIL picture works best. I think most people would agree that that's a really sound strategy for Georgia. I guess, Jeff, my response would be is even that, though, doesn't come without its challenges because if you say, hey, Georgia's main uh, mechanism for NIL is going to be through player retention, that makes seemingly all the sense in the world. But to a certain extent, you are then incentivizing players to at least flirt with going to the transfer portal to up their value in the eyes of Georgia. If i got to pay to retain you, then if I'm a player, that means I'm incentivized to make myself seem difficult to retain. So even that is not a perfect elixir for team chemistry stuff because if Georgia's using money to retain players, then it just stands to reason the player is incentivized to make himself seem difficult to retain. Yeah, that's a good uh, free market economy way of looking at it. I think it's also a compatibility test. My, my response to that would be once you get a great player in at Georgia – and he sees the development, he sees the culture, he sees the stage that Georgia plays on, and he's thriving in that, he decides he doesn't want to be a part of it, or maybe he doesn't, you know, he wants to go chase greener pastures, literally, so to speak. Well, and I think that's probably a player long-term that's not going to be great for the University of Georgia, or a player long-term that's just not going to see what Georgia's all about and what how Georgia is really doing what it's doing on the college football stage right now. And, Brandon, the other thing, this is what I tell people on ForumDogNation.com this week. It is what it is, man, but, like, you're going to have to get used to the situations where Georgia's maybe a leader for a long time and Georgia even holds a commitment for a long time. And then all of a sudden people start allocating their NIL dollars in the class and somebody comes in with a new high bid or a new big bid, and that kind of changes the, 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 the forecast. It kind of changes the way things were going. Because there's going to be a lot more times where somebody feels really good about getting a big-time commitment, and all of a sudden some outlier comes in and wins the day. And we can all kind of point to it without doing some sort of CSI autopsy to figure out what happens. When you hear a player trending here, and then you hear a late-game, late-stage swap, I mean, it wasn't just some great visit or great phone call conversation or maybe a heart-to-heart talk with a coach anymore. It's really incentive-based on the front end of joining a program. So let me ask you one more on this because i got two other topics I want to address before we uh, go here, and I want to combine two sports to kind of make the, the, the case for college ball for a moment. Could you see a situation in the future where, you know, you look at the, like the NFL, like the New England Patriots, won a ton of Super Bowls with Bill Belichick, and it seemed like a lot of their guys were these sort of like mid-round pick type players, right? It's like oftentimes it seems like they'd almost rather have four fourth-round picks than one first-round pick. That's, you know, a broadly, you know, generalizing things, but that's kind of what they did. A lot of success with the so-called sort of mid-round draft pick type guy. College basketball, a slightly different sport, but a lot of what we've seen succeed at the NCAA tournament level are not the kind of one-and-done freshman phenoms but it's teams that have had senior-laden lineups of perhaps a slightly lesser recruit that's slightly more experienced. Could you see a situation in the future where college football sort of looks like that too, where a program like Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State, maybe it's not 25 five-stars anymore. Maybe it's you know uh, 25 guys that you can keep in your program that can get some experience that's a little bit more of the mid-round style draft pick level talent that the teams like the New England Patriots have cultivated over the years could you see a situation in the future where you don't see huge numbers of five stars congregating in the same places anymore because of all the concerns that you've addressed I think it's going to be spread out I think I would agree with that simply because every like, look what, look what Missouri's doing, Brandon. They've got their, their in-state now things where high school seniors can start getting NIL as long as they sign financial aid paperwork with an in-state school. And everybody's got, like, three or four big splash NIL guys. Well, we all know football's a team game. We all know football is you've got to have an up-and-down great roster. 
the one point I was shaking my head about in agreement with you, Brandon, as I was saying, is I've always felt college football is a game that the more 22 and 23-year-olds you have on your team, especially on the lines, the better you're going to be. And, you know, I point to a guy like a Nazir Stackhouse, point to a guy like a Zion Logue, Xavier Trust, for example. I mean, Brandon, those guys are grown men who could probably handle the NFL right now. Their bodies are mature enough to do that, but they're still – at the college level playing at the SEC for Georgia. I think you're going to find, it's kind of like when you go to, how I can equate it is sometimes the way it is at the beginning is the way it is in the middle and at the, and the height of all these players' careers. Brandon, when you go to these prospect camps, and when you go to them, you see them like 6th, 7th, 8th grade, everybody wants to be a quarterback. Everybody wants to be a wide receiver or running back. You go look at the corners, there's not a lot. You go look at the pass rushers, there's not a lot. Linebackers, there's not a lot. Tight ends, not a lot. I think you'll find a place like Georgia. Uh, look for those really rare commodities, and that's what they're going to push any NIL toward. I think there's players you have to pay for. If you look at the baseball example, you want to pay for frontline starters. You want to pay for guys that are big cleanup, but big clutch bats. I think in the NFL, you're going to pay for quarterbacks. You're going, I mean, that's what you do in the NFL in the NFL draft. You pay for quarterbacks. You pay for people that affect the quarterback and defensive linemen, and you pay for people that protect the quarterback. I think that's what Georgia's going to look like. You're going to see, should they should they push NIL retention dollars or NIL dollars anywhere? It's going to be on those core positions, because I want you to think about it. Look how Georgia has found place pieces like Dylan Bell, Lad McConkey, even Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. A lot of Georgia's contributors are those guys that aren't the five-star wide receiver types, although Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint, I believe, was number 80, 85 in the country when he came out. But you're going to see Georgia. Look how they find a Cash Jones. Look how they find a Dejon Edwards. I think that's the way Georgia's going to look like, where you're going to get a lot of those medium-range guys where Georgia looks at them and goes, medium-range four-stars, and they go, you know what? There's not much difference between John Doe and Jim Doe over here, and there's certainly not $300,000 worth a difference between John Doe and Jim Doe right here. All right, let's do two quick things before we uh, let you go here. These are both, I think, pretty important topics. Aiden Breeland, we talked about this in our show yesterday. He's making a Saturday afternoon tomorrow commitment announcement, and the online chatter is not positive for Georgia. Is that true? Is is, is this going the direction of Oregon tomorrow? Kind of what I'm hearing, Brandon, and I know, um, I guess on pretense, there are very few prospects you would celebrate a commitment that happens in the middle of college football Saturday. Yeah, that's right. College football games in general. I could think of a maybe a wide receiver or two in this class that maybe you'd, you'd do that for, but it's it's one of those things I kind of hinted at in my earlier thoughts. Um, you've got Georgia really versus Oregon there, and let's just say this for a minute: like Breland choosing Oregon, even if there's an NIL at the center of it, makes a lot more sense for a young man that lives on the West Coast that can see and go to Oregon. And they're going to be a big dog program, maybe not a big Georgia Bulldog program, but they're going to be a relevant player in college football. They're going to have incredible facilities. They're going to have NIL backing. And then they're going to have a coach in Dan Lanning who knows how to recruit. In some ways, Georgia taking the silver medal on this one makes a lot more sense than a williams Winery in Missouri choosing Missouri. And I think that's what you got to kind of think about there. Oregon's closer. Oregon's going to offer him a good program. They're going to develop him. They're going to play a lot of SEC-type ball. That Dan Lanning, he's learned a lot of those principles from Nick Saban at Alabama and Kirby Smart at Georgia. That one kind of makes a lot more sense than some other ones we've seen right there where if it comes down to it, I don't know if – I've said this before on your show, Brandon. I don't think the five stars this year on the defensive line are like the five stars we've seen in a lot of other years because they have to pick three or four or five defensive linemen to be – five stars because that's just the way the game operates where every recruiting class needs to be structured but if you look at a lot of these guys they're in some years the type of players and we're talking about guys that are committed to big schools like ohio state some of these guys i don't think would be five stars most years but i think an evaluation staff like at georgia has to look at that and go all right so there's a guy like lj mccray still out there on the table there's aiden breland on the table and you got to choose where your evaluation points to in terms of where to spend your energies and maybe even NIL. 
do you feel like LJ McCray, McCray is still a realistic option for Georgia? How about a guy like Nasir Johnson committed to Florida? Do you feel like there are other potentially, you know, you know, perhaps not the same level of recruit that uh that that Breland is, but but other you know viable options such as maybe a Johnson or maybe McCray still out there for Georgia? Yeah, I think so. It's kind of funny, Brandon. The direction that McCray has trended away and now might be trending stalemate or maybe even towards Georgia a little bit has kind of been the polar opposite of what we saw with Breland. You mentioned Nazir Johnson, and Nazir Johnson is a tremendous athlete in state. Maybe he's a little raw, but he could be an all-SEC player on the offensive side or the defensive side. I think probably you've seen the social media clips of the guy doing everything short of backhand springs and cartwheels at 6'6", 300 pounds. Yeah. Brandon, there's a play he made this year with Dublin where he chases a guy down, kind of like that classic, famous play Larry Allen made for the Cowboys when he, he ran down a New Orleans Saint after a turnover after change of possession. I think this year's got a great upside. And I know how much you'd love to stick one in the craw of the stinking Gators again, man, with another flip in this class, but you know, he's got a lot of things you like. He's got upside. He's really coachable. Tremendous ability. He's one of those guys that, you know, his, his current right now is probably maybe not as refined as an Aiden Breland, but his ceiling probably could, might even be even higher, especially going through Trey Scott's program. Jeff, great stuff. Thanks for being here on uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger today for some really fun UGA recruiting talk. We'll see you tomorrow in Nashville. Obviously, hope to catch you on some of the postgame show a little bit, too, to get your thoughts about George's win against Vanderbilt. And uh, fun to be uh, having this conversation with you right now. We'll look forward to doing it again next week there as well. Hey, Brandon, appreciate you, man. Take it easy. See everybody in Music City. Sounds good. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, looking forward to being in Nashville tomorrow. A little bit of a quick turnaround for us. Obviously, high school football tonight, for me anyway, uh, up in uh, Harrison High School as Harrison gets ready to take on North Paulding. That's going to be a fun game. Luckily, we're right there on 75. Shoot it towards... uh, uh, Chattanooga for a little Friday night stay in Nashville on uh, Saturday, like many of you are doing there too. So rolling in pretty bleary-eyed tomorrow morning, early start. Not an easy thing necessarily, but for those of you getting ready to enjoy the full experience of Music City over the course of the next couple of nights, hope you get a chance to really, really do that. Maybe we'll bump into each other somewhere on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, something like that. Uh, or, you know, around the stadium, uh, we'll do the dog walk, things like that. So if you see us, come over and say hello, because I would certainly love to uh, say hello to you. Now, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Made the big announcement yesterday. I am secured and on board an early sailing for Icon of the Seas. Can't wait for that. But the other thing I'm really excited about is to be on board with so many of you for our Dog Nation cruise. That's coming up in April 2024. And it's not too soon to start thinking about that, because we are booking up day after day week after week month after month hundreds of you on board with this incredible cruise vacation experience on board allure of the seas it's bigger and better than it's ever been before and when you do something for the third time it's sort of like that third sequel you got to try to find a way to make it even more amazing than it's ever been in the past and for us that meant getting on board an oasis class ship allure of the seas is going to be our home for the dog nation cruise here in april of 2024 we're sailing out of port canaveral we're going to nassau in the bahamas we're going to perfect day coco Cay, and perfect day coco Cay even better in 2024 uh thanks to the advent of the hideaway beach which is going to be an amazing experience for adults on board those royal caribbean uh, cruise ships on their way to perfect day coco k we want you to be there as well jessica slater great travel agent specially selected for us by royal caribbean she's also put a wonderful website together it's called royaldogs.com that's royaldogs.com you can find out all the information you need about the dog nation cruise with uh, Jessica Slater. She'll help you get booked up. We're going to have a great time on board of Lord of the Seas, April 2024, for all of that. All right. Let's talk about some of the big games for the upcoming weekend here for a moment. Let me give you one quick note one more time on Georgia Vanderbilt before we move on to some of these others here just for a second. So last week we saw Georgia cover a spread for the first time this year, and it was a little bit of a downgraded spread compared to where it had been going back to the summer. Georgia, I think, went off as about a 14.5 point favorite last week after being favored by 24 over Kentucky going back into the offseason, especially early spring when those lines first started coming out. Perception kind of working against Georgia prior to kickoff, Georgia ends up covering the spread easily. It's worth noting that Georgia going to Vanderbilt on Saturday still in excess of a 30-point favorite, but this is a little bit of a downgrade from what the spread has been, both last year playing at home as a 37.5-point favorite, 
but also in 2021 when Georgia was last in Nashville, 36-point favor that day. So a little bit of a downgrade in perception. You would assume this is more about Georgia than Vandy because Vanderbilt's terrible right now. Uh, but nonetheless, Georgia's show, showing itself against a slightly shorter number on Saturday, despite the fact that it's um, still in excess of 30 points, slightly shorter number. I'll take Georgia to cover, but I don't feel super confident about this. I really don't for the reasons I mentioned off the top of the program. When you look at Georgia's history going into off weeks, they've just had a tendency to coast a little bit. And in a high variance game where the where the expected spread is so large, a little bit of variance can really doom you. So if you're going to bet a game, my suggestion is to bet a different than this. Uh, but nonetheless, that's the case. I think I, I'll take Georgia, I guess, just sort of slightly there. I think that Alabama Arkansas is kind of fun it's a big spread and while I enjoy taking my shots at Alabama when I can and I certainly took one at Nick Saban I guess a little bit off the top of the show today there's one thing I want to give Saban credit for you know mentioned I mentioned the New England Patriots and oftentimes Bill Belichick Nick Saban the two coaches that are compared to each other but if you look at Belichick and what is almost certainly near the end for him as Patriots coach he is truly a shell of his former self did you know that for those of you that perhaps don't follow the NFL quite as closely last two weeks Patriots have lost 34 nothing to the Saints and 38-3 to the to the Dallas Cowboys that's two weeks in a row of being outscored by darn near 70 points that's the story for Bill Belichick and New England Patriots by comparison while this current Nick Saban coached Alabama team is not quite what Crimson Tide teams have been in the past they are still far more competitive than that. They've covered in three straight games now, all in SEC play. Remember, in the 10 games prior to that, Bama had just covered in two of those 10 games. So from a spread standpoint, they've gotten hotter as of late. They played a mistake-filled game last week against Texas A&M, but still found the way to get the victory. I do kind of like a last gasp from Sam Pittman in Arkansas to at least keep this one close than the experts think. Uh, Arkansas 9-4-1 against the spread on the road versus SEC teams under Sam Pittman. You're talking about a number kind of floating around that 19.5 mark here on Saturday, depending on where you see that. Uh, I'd be very wary of, uh, with a big number like that, Arkansas's ability to kind of keep it slightly close than the experts think. Alabama may have won uh, last week, but uh, Nick Saban knows that's a team that has its problems here right now. So I would respect that. I'd be shocked, obviously, this game is super close going into the fourth quarter. But whether it's a backdoor cover or just a you know a game that kind of uh, works out to uh, Arkansas's pace advantage where you know, maybe not a ton of points and maybe not a huge deficit, I, I could certainly see something like that. I think Texas A&M going to Tennessee is a, a pretty fascinating game. Of course, A&M has been really bad when you talk about being on the road, just one in six against the spread in their last seven away from College Station. Obviously lost outright to Miami a little earlier. But ultimately, Here's my issue and why I like A&M here uh, in this spot against, uh, against Tennessee. Look at Tennessee in its last nine games against SEC teams. For a team that wants to play fast, wants the pace, wants to score a lot of points, just four and five to the under in those last nine games against SEC teams. Obviously, the slower this game goes, the more it favors Texas A&M here in this spot. Uh, you know, Tennessee, even without Kenan Hooker, even without like Bruce McCoy who's injured and obviously all the receivers from a year ago they still want to try to move fast try to score points but against SEC teams Tennessee hasn't always been as effective at establishing that pace that could be enough for an A&M team to show one more sign of life here against a Tennessee team that I don't know how you know great they really are perception is I believe because Tennessee's ranked and because A&M's been such a disappointment the Tennessee's far better but you look at the overall spread what's been what two and a half in favor of uh, Tennessee most of that just credit for being at home on an neutral site odds makers kind of have this as sort of flat footed even if you care about espn fpi the aggies are actually you know slightly you know better 15th in fpi compared to 17th for tennessee so i think i think the value is actually on texas a&m in this spot no matter you know how good the aggies you know might actually be so i'll take them there i think auburn at lsu is a fun game we've seen uh, lsu favored by 11 and a half for most of this week here the issue for me, though, is the LSU defense. They've given up 31 or more points in all but two games thus far this season. They're allowing, this is LSU, DB, DBU, allowing 32.3 per game here right now. But this may be the perfect team for LSU to play, knowing that it's got a 
really solid performance coming from Jaden Daniels and they've been fine offensively but just really bad with their passing defense Auburn does not seem to be the kind of team that can take advantage of that Auburn just 11th in the SEC in scoring right now at 21 points or 29.6 points per game this is a close game a year ago LSU won just 21 17 on the road as an eight-point favorite but we know that Auburn's oftentimes a very different team away from Jordan-Hare Stadium than it is when it's playing at home and if LSU's playing somebody else a week after they were lucky to escape at Missouri maybe that pass defense really burns them but against Auburn I just don't think the combination of Peyton Thorne Robbie Ashford are good enough through the air to attack where LSU is vulnerable I think that Jaden Daniels right now is playing at an incredibly high level so it's a big number for an LSU team playing at home but it's also a team that's sort of desperate for wins as Brian Kelly tries to salvage his second year I like LSU here minus the 11 and a half there in that spot quickly a couple of others here uh I think that Oregon's ripe for the picking uh to go out and win the game at Washington on Saturday Washington's been hot all year long uh three-point favorite uh, in this spot but I like Oregon the thing to keep in mind here is the one knock on Oregon in situations like this you know the old cliche about road Bo Nix the former Auburn quarterback now at Oregon what happens when he goes on the road well admittedly even still this year not quite as good playing away from home his overall completion percentage slightly lower 77.6 compared to 82.8 yards per attempt slightly lower there as well 8.5 compared to 9.3 he's also thrown fewer touchdowns on the road compared to being at home six compared to nine but here's the other deal though he has not thrown an interception away from Eugene Oregon here this year maybe in this kind of final year for Knicks the whole notion of like the road bow maybe that's a demon that's being exercised here uh, I think that Knicks has actually been pretty good for uh, Dan Lanning since Lanning has gotten there uh, we think about Seattle being this really tough place to play but the truth is Washington just three and three in its last six against the spread while playing at home they also failed to cover a short number a year ago against Oregon State just four and a half similar spot to where they find themselves on Saturday I certainly think Oregon can keep it slightly close than the experts expect on, inside of a field goal I also possibly the Dan Lanning and the Ducks could actually win this game as well and I'll give you one more here USC going to Notre Dame it's important for me to know that despite the fact that USC has got the Heisman Trophy winner in Caleb Williams the big national fame the fact they're still ranked in the top 10 and unbeaten they've also dropped in the AP poll three weeks in a row after a win that's a little bit of a tell for me sometimes there is wisdom in crowds and people seem to know that there's something not quite right about this USC defense. On the other hand, Notre Dame has actually played pretty good defense. And Louisville, a loss. Ohio State, a loss. I don't think you have to apologize necessarily for either one of those losses here right now. I think that Notre Dame is the better team. They're playing at home. They certainly have the much better defense. And I think they're able of providing a level of toughness that USC cannot match. So Notre Dame's a two-and-a-half-point favorite here. I think uh, Notre Dame uh, wins this game and covers and we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Before we fire off the fight song, let me also say, I think that Florida-South Carolina is a really fun game. I don't have a great feel on this other than the Florida struggles in the row. We had somebody joking earlier about the fact that Billy Napier wants to try to get more sleep for his team and stuff like that. To me, that shows you how desperate Florida is. I believe South Carolina probably gets them on Saturday. I think Missouri-Kentucky is a really fun game. I think the week after playing Georgia, hard to get up for anybody. And I think Missouri right now is pretty good. I probably like the Tigers slightly over Kentucky. So kind of a fun slate in the SEC, even beyond the sort of main games that gets everyone's attention. Good time to see Georgia play early, then kind of roll into a full college football slate after that. Should be a very fun Saturday. And those are our thoughts on that. Cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. All right, we got to take care of one more thing here. How about our friends at the J. Stein Law Firm? How could you uh, not be so happy to have our friends at the J. Stein Law Firm? Big part of Dog Nation on game day as well, including giving out our player of the game each week on our Dog Nation post game show. But more important than that, if you've been hurt or if you've been injured in an accident or someone you love has been hurt or injured in an accident, at that point, you want the compensation you deserve. You're going to be made whole in that situation. And you want a lawyer that's going to fight hard for you to get you what you deserve. That's what our friends at the J. Stein Law Firm are all about. Because some of these really large personal injury firms perhaps they don't give you the personal attention you deserve for your personal injury case that's not going to be the case with uh the j stein law firm because josh stein uh this is a, a law firm that provides that sort of small firm personal care for you also he's a big georgia guy he's a two-time uga graduate we call him a double dog including graduating from uga law school so he's kind of dedicated to helping dog fans such as himself in their personal injury situation so you want to reach out and find them today if you need to be made right made whole compensated for 
an injury or an accident that you've suffered, uh, Josh Stein, the J. Stein Law Firm, can help you out with that. Find them online at jsteinlawfirm.com. That's jsteinlawfirm.com. Now we'll wrap things up. A couple of golden shoes for you here today, starting with our buddy Mad Dog, reminding us it is Brocktober. It's a Friday the 13th, which makes Brocktober even more fun. Very nice Halloween-style imagery from Mike the Mad Dog there on that. Really, really good stuff. Uh, we'll give out the uh, golden shoe for Mike there on that, having a really good time. How about Waylon Wilson? I want to tell you a story about this real quick. So Waylon Wilson gives you a, a hairy dog kind of tying up the Vanderbilt Commodore. It says Shipwreck Vandy. This reminds me of when I was a kid going to Athens, and there'd always be like the billboards of like the, you know, kind of the old Jack Davis style of art where you're like, you know, beating up on the uh, Georgia rival, whoever George was playing. This kind of reminds me of that. The other thing is Waylon sent me another funny one this week that I cannot use. <laughs> He doesn't like uh, Gary Danielson, I guess. And he had Danielson sort of tied up the way that the Commodore's tied up here. I think it's okay to show a fictional character being tied up, but something about it seeing a human being actually tied up like that feels like we're, you know, kind of perpetuating a crime. So I decided we'll show this one from Waylon, but perhaps not the other one because that may be hitting a little too close to home. Uh, but nonetheless, really good stuff. Waylon, obviously a very talented guy there. And then this is requiring a little bit of explanation. So yesterday on the show, during our R.S. Andrews cool down, somebody mentioned the idea that Georgia ought to have like a hand gesture the way that Texas has uh, uh, hook em horns, which I think is kind of a funny idea. And so Champion Dogs and Stripes sent, well, what about the sign language for G, which is basically like a finger. Is that pointing to the left, I guess? Yeah, like a, uh, essentially it's a finger pointing to the left, which I think is about as good as anything else. Uh, so it's just kind of a funny sort of add on to a conversation we we're having yesterday. So I'll give champion dogs and stripes a golden shoe for that there too. Uh, that is good stuff. And let me tell you what's not good. Lousy stinking gators, because we think they're in trouble at South Carolina tomorrow. And they are definitely in trouble two weeks from now back in Jacksonville for the uh, cocktail party. And guess what? It's just 15 days away. Already having some conversations about some fun cocktail party plans. So that's that time of year. And you know we love to be there for that. And we can't wait for it. We also can't wait for tomorrow. We'll see you in Nashville for those of you who are going to be there after the game for the UJ post game show, the Dog Nation post game show uh, for uh, those of you who can't. And then back here Monday for Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. Have a great weekend, everybody.